Good morning. Um, got a question for you this morning. Suppose that um, God gave you a gift, and the gift was a simple opportunity to talk to others about the kingdom of God. And the gift was similar in approach to those parables of Jesus, those interesting stories that came right out of the lives of the people around him and caught their interest. And the gift was something also that uh, the Apostle Paul used in drawing from the culture around him pictures to help describe who God and Jesus and the kingdom of God, what they were all about. Something that um, people already loved and enjoyed. Something they were already talking about because they were really into it. If God gave us such a gift, would you want to use that gift to talk about the kingdom of God? I'm convinced that that's what God offers us in the contemporary cultural world of film, TV, music, theater, books, uh, all of that storytelling uh, of, of our culture, in the world of contemporary storytelling. Someone, someone once observed, we Christians tend to be moderately good at reaching the once-churched, those with some measure of Christian knowledge and background. We are far less successful, however, at reaching the never-churched because many gospel presentations are so full of religious language that people find it confusing and maybe even threatening. And to the extent that that's true at all for anyone, that's why I'm excited, that's why I like about using movies to talk to people about God. It uses a common language, a story that's already well-known, that people are already interested in. And so we're back again uh, this summer to uh, this sermon series called God in the Movies. And our goal in the series is not necessarily to convince anyone uh, to like the movie or not. That's really beside the point. Whether you like the movie or not, culture likes it. And they're interested in it. So our goal is to help us learn how to use those stories that culture is interested in to point people to God's story, to point people to Jesus. And sometimes the movies have great examples of, whoa, that's just like God. And sometimes the movies, oh, why are you interested in that? That's not at all what the kingdom of God is like. And it gives us an opportunity, those movies, don't they? Um, When people are talking about them, when they're interested in them, and they are, to to join into the conversation and say things like, oh yeah, that scene? What that reminds me of? Maybe you tell a story from your own life uh, where God was a part. Or you say something like, um, hmm, you know, that, that makes me think about what about you? What do you think about that? And to get a conversation rolling. That's, um, that's my deepest purpose, our deepest purpose for this series. Um, so we're going to do our best to show you what that's like. 
uh, over the next six weeks with six different movies. You'll see them on the screen in a minute. We always try to pick uh, top movies from the previous year because those are examples of the movies that most people, at least, uh, higher percentage are talking about. And like Ryan said, uh, he and Nathan are taking one. Uh, Ryan's going to do Oz. That, that seems about right, doesn't it? There's something about the Wizard of... I don't know, his showmanship, or there's something about it. That's a good match, Ryan. And then, um, oh man, you want to talk about a good match. There's Nathan and Wreck-It Ralph. Have you ever noticed the resemblance between Nathan and Wreck-It Ralph? Where is Nathan? Ah, sorry, brother. I've seen that look on your face. That's that's the look on his face after the Chicago youth trip all week long. Um... So I'm excited about that. Uh, this morning, um, <laughs> this morning we decided to start things off with the least controversial movie of all of them, The Hunger Games. <laughs> Oy. Boy, this message um, has been heavy uh, on my heart th- this week, especially heavy. Um, maybe Harry Potter which we did last year, comes close to being as controversial um, in Christian circles as the Hunger Games. Maybe. Um, The furor over Hunger Games um, in Christian community and what to do with that movie, whether to have anything to do with it or not, um, it dwarfs that, even of Harry Potter. As I poured through Uh, movie reviews and Christian uh, movie reviews in particular this past week, I have never seen such polar opposite opinions uh, in the church uh, on any movie ever. Believers passionately advocating this film um, and also equally passionately blasting this film and urging people to have absolutely nothing to do with it. And I know, um, I imagine those polar extremes and maybe some in the middle uh, uh, are are here this morning, too. Um, I'll share um, my hand uh, up front uh, before we start. I I find the movie, I found the movie to be one of the most powerfully convicting movies I have ever seen. And yes, it risks... Uh, a great deal uh, with a storyline involving uh, teens hunting down and killing other teens. Um, More on that in a minute. But its intended purpose, the movie's intended purpose, from the director to the author of the books to every actor in it, and I think it's incredible accomplishment is to warn us and to warn humanity against violence and oppression and the evil that we're capable of. And that message, that warning is so important. Well, in my opinion, the risk that the movie takes with such a horrific storyline is worth it in age-appropriate circumstances, of course. And it's because of even 
the depth of the terrible thing that these children are forced into. It's because of it that makes the warning that much more real. Before I address, um, I, I want to start into the movie, though, uh, this way. Um, I'll get to some more about that kid against kid violence in the movie that uh, understandably causes concern. It, it, it should cause concern. It better cause concern. But um, I want to start with showing you um, a scene that's uh, one of the best depictions of Christ's substitutionary atonement um, that I've ever seen. Um, but before we do that, I almost forgot. It's the reason why most of you come to God in the Movies. Amanda Cook <laughs> and John Burns um, will get the ball rolling with um, their version of everything we need to know, in this case, about the Hunger Games. Let's watch. Here's everything you need to know about the Hunger Games in five minutes, 30 seconds. In a dystopian future, society has been divided up into 12 distinct and isolated districts, ruled by a totalitarian regime and forced into subservience to an elite class, which resides in the capital. Years ago, the districts rose against the capital, but they lost, and as penance, the president has decreed that each district send one boy and one girl to serve as a participant in an annual televised event called the Hunger Games. Part entertainment, part brutal intimidation of the subjugated districts, the televised games are broadcast as the 24 child tributes are forced to eliminate their competitors until only one remains. Why do you think we have a winner? I mean, if we just wanted to intimidate the districts, why not round up 24 of them at random and execute them all at once? It'd be a lot faster. Hope. 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 It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. So contain it. As a citizen of District 12, Katniss Everdeen lives with her young sister Primrose and their mother. This year is the first year Katniss's sister will be entered into the reaping, the lottery to determine which two children will participate in the Hunger Games. At the reaping, the unthinkable happens. Primrose Everdeen. Prim! I volunteer! I volunteer! I volunteer as tribute. I believe we have a volunteer. Uh, Mr. Mayor, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. The male tribute chosen, Peter Malark, happens to be an old schoolmate of Katniss. After a brief goodbye to their families, the tributes are shipped off to the capital. In the days leading up to the main event, Katniss and Peter train with their rival tributes, some of whom have long trained to participate in the Hunger Games. The night before the games begin, the tributes are interviewed like late-night TV show guests before the people of the capital and PETA makes a devastating revelation. Well, there, uh, there is this one girl that I've had a crush on forever. She came here with me. The next morning, the games begin. The tributes are dumped into what looks like an empty forest, but is actually a highly controlled environment. The countdown begins and the bloodshed is immediate. Katniss makes off with a backpack of supplies and then runs into the woods. The sound of cannon blasts ring out through the forest. 
12 have died in the first few moments of the Hunger Games, their deaths plastered on screens across all 12 districts. Meanwhile, the game designers give Katniss a reason to seek out PETA. Attention, tributes, attention. The regulations requiring a single victor have been suspended. From now on, two victors may be crowned if both originate from the same district. This will be the only announcement. Katniss finds Peta, wounded and in hiding. She tries to nurse him back to health. But while she's out hunting apart from Peta, Katniss hears the telltale blast of the cannon. Peta! Peta! Oh! Are you okay? I heard the cannon. That's Nightlock, Peta! You'll be dead in a minute! I didn't know. You scared me to death. Suddenly the skies darken. A horrible cacophony of beastly growls and human screams is heard. A cannon blasts. Only Katniss, Peta, and the cruel boy from District 1 remain. Several of the creatures chase Peta and Katniss back to the cornucopia. They crawl onto the metal structure, but the boy from District 1 is there too. A struggle ensues, culminating with Peta shoving the boy down to the ground below. Peta and Katniss have won, but an announcement is made. Attention, attention, tributes. There has been a slight rule change. The previous revision, allowing for two victors from the same district, has been revoked. Only one victor may be crowned. Good luck. Realizing one of them must die, Peta offers up his life. Unwilling to accept his offer, Katniss defiantly insists that they both sacrifice their lives by eating the poisonous berries. Stop! Stop! Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. Katniss and Peta have won. But back in the capital, the president burns with revenge, anticipating the coming fire. Powerful film. Before I talk uh, more about that element of its storyline that is very disturbing, teens hunting down teens, um, I want to show you that scene now that um, is one of the best depictions of Christ's substitutionary atonement that I've ever seen. Remember, we're not here to critique the movie as a whole. We're here to find talking points, points of engagement with people in the culture in these popular movies that they love. Whether we like the movie or not is really beside the point. The Bible tells us um, 
that because of our sin, we deserve death. Then the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus took our place so that we can live. That's, in a nutshell, the gospel. We deserve death. Jesus gives us life instead. That's a good trade. (laughs) In other words, Jesus is our substitute to taking the death sentence for us. Hence that theological term, substitutionary atonement. Now, I can tell someone about that, like I just did and, and like I often do. But what I could also do is use a powerful, cultural, iconic story or scene, like the one I'm about to show you from Hunger Games, that the world's already talking about to help show them what Jesus did for us. In the scene we're about to see, you saw a snippet of it, but I want you to see the whole scene. Katniss's sister Primrose is essentially sentenced to death when her name is drawn out of that bowl because she's so young there's no way she'll survive the Hunger Games. And what I'd like you to pay careful attention to in particular, watch what Katniss does in response. Look at the look on her face. Feel her emotion with her and ask yourself, do you see Jesus there? Is the image of God right there? Let's watch. Ladies first. Where are you, dear? Come on up. Well, come on up. have a volunteer. Uh, Mr. Mayor. I need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. No. Go find Mom. No. Grim, go find Mom. I know. No. So sorry. No. Go find Mom. No. Grim, leave. Go find Mom. No. 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 Dramatic turn of events here in District 12. Yes, well, District 12's very first volunteer. Bring her up. What's your name? Katniss Everdeen. Well, I bet my hat that was your sister, wasn't it? Yes. Let's have a big hand for our very first volunteer, Katniss Everdeen. 
You know, we talk about Jesus sacrificing himself for us. And it can become so, oh, religious jargon. I love that scene. I see Jesus in the scene watching Adam and Eve in the garden. That moment when the devil reached into the bowl and took out a slip of paper with the name of all humanity on it. Sentencing us all to death. And I love the picture of both God the Father and Jesus in his humanity at least of just the horror on her face at the plight and awful fate of her sister. Just... And the desperate move and love to take her place. No, pick me, pick me, anybody but her, please, pick me. My friends, whether you know the Lord yet or not as your Savior, that is exactly the movement that Jesus makes toward each and every one of us. There's a talking point there in the Hunger Games to tell people about Jesus substituting himself for them. The movie goes on and brilliantly, in my opinion, against those the horrific circumstances that Katniss and the other tributes find themselves thrown into, forced into, the movie contrasts the attitude and spirit of the rich and powerful and elite and privileged. And as we continue to, to watch the story unfold, it pulls us aghast, not even believing our eyes at the reaction of the privileged citizens to the Hunger Games. They love it. They revel in it. How entertaining. What fun. Place your bets on the tribute you think will come out alive. It truly is a game for them. It's entertainment, this violence. Let's watch. Over 100,000 people craning to get a glimpse of this year's tributes. And the sponsors get to see the tributes for the first time. The importance of this moment cannot be overstated. Very nice. First chariot on my count, 15, 14, 13. There they are, there they are, this year's tributes. Oh, <laughs> the most exciting part. Oh, it's, uh, it just gives you goosebumps.
well. We will not be overlooked, though. I love that! People are sure going to be paying attention to them right now. Stark, that stark and shocking contrast between that awful kids killing kids contest versus that garish, laughing, playful cheering of the crowds that are entertained by it, that stark and sickening contrast is the tone. And it's the point of the entire movie. The authors, Suzanne Collins, the director of the film, all of the actors, when interviewed repeatedly. That's the purpose of the story, to hold it up, yes, in a shocking way, and to force us, to encourage us, to break through to us, to ask ourselves those hard questions, and this one in particular, hard questions of ourselves, of society, of humanity, of our culture. Are we capable of something like this? This aspect of the movie is one of the strongest indictments against humanity being basically good that I could possibly imagine. One of the hurdles for people who don't know the Lord to come to the Lord as their Savior is they bought into our cultural teaching that, well, you know, you really don't need a Savior because humanity is basically good. Oh, really? This movie screams, watch out! Humanity is capable of great, great evil. Watch out. Human beings will tend, those who are strong will tend to exploit the weak for their own benefit and enjoyment. Watch out. A society that doesn't value the life of its weakest members, a society that exalts and nearly worships the stronger, bigger, faster over the weaker, a society that, can you imagine this, views violence as entertaining, this movie warns, that's where we're headed, watch out. And if you're tempted to think, oh, come on, that never really happens. Well, the Holocaust happened. When a Christian nation rounded up and murdered six million Jews. And continuing on today, the sex trade industry is real. A fate, you could argue, in some ways worse than death for those kids caught up in it. And not just internationally around the world, but here, my fellow Americans, in our country, in our neighborhoods. It happened in Rome, didn't it? When the, the civilized country and empire, one that we're incredibly similar to in lots of scary ways, persecuted Christians, put on for entertainment, stronger versus weaker in a fight to the death match. You know, it's telling in the movie that the game show hosts, their names are Caesar and Claudius. 
And the guy running the TV production with that nifty cut beard that works closely with President Snow, his name's Seneca, who in history was the tutor and advisor to Nero, and whom Nero forced to suicide, which coincidentally happens to Seneca in the Hunger Games as well. And as for President Snow, you know what his first name is? It's Coriolanus, and a Google search of that name will find a historical name featured as the title character in one of Shakespeare's plays. And Coriolanus in Shakespeare is known for supporting the power of aristocrats by exploiting the common people. Sound familiar? Watch out! Speaking of the Holocaust, it, to me, and I know people will disagree with me on this point, but let's talk if you do. To me, The Hunger Games, the movie it should be compared to is a movie like Schindler's List. Schindler's List, which tells the story of Jews being persecuted and killed by Nazis. And yeah, to tell that story, the list includes scenes of terrible things happening. But they too serve a purpose to remind us of what we're capable of if we don't watch out. That opening scene from Hunger Games where they're all standing there in that courtyard, boy, it, it, it brought to mind to me those Jews in Nazi Germany standing in the streets having been dragged out from their homes, put in lines by soldiers and, and, and waiting for their name and telling them what train to the concentration camp they've been assigned to. That's why I find this movie powerful and convicting in the same way Schindler's List was for me. And no one says stay away from Schindler's List because of the violence. I think that's because we recognize the importance of that message, at least when it's well-intended. Hunger Games does not, if you haven't seen it, Hunger Games does not glorify violence. The director talks about how hard he and his staff worked not to make it gratuitous, not to make it enticing. And so the camera is quick and jerky and it looks away and you don't, uh, there's violence in it. He's drawing that line between, well, don't show it at all versus I want people to see just the evil that man is uh, capable of. And I think the movie hits its mark. And yes, age-appropriate concerns, absolutely. Whether for you or for your kids, if you end up going to that movie and you are, are tempted to like just get into, you know, yeah, the violence between those teens, guard your heart. If that's you, despite this movie's, I think, strong effort in setting the tone at just being disgusted by it, I don't know how you, but if that's you, yeah, you should stay away if you find violence uh, entertaining. But I tell you, our culture finds it entertaining. And they were mesmerized by Hunger Games. And the next one comes out, I think, uh, in a month or two. And they're going to be talking about it again. And whatever you think about the movie, whether you want to see it or not, there's a talking point there, in my opinion. I want to end with a couple of scenes back to back. The first, you've seen a snippet. Katniss is about to be thrown into the Hunger Games. She has to get into that tube. Let's watch. 30 seconds. 
10 seconds. Every day, um, my friends, we live in a, a culture that teaches look out for number one at no cost, at any cost. Look out for number one. Anything goes. Watch out for number one. And a culture that also teaches that might makes right. And that if you have power and influence over someone, use it for your advantage. And that temptation is in the movie for Katniss to do it that way. And I think that's also a temptation for us in life sometimes. But there's a better way to survive in a lookout for number one world. Katniss found it. I, I wonder if we can find it too. Let's watch.
Katniss weeps over one of her rivals, her enemy. She cares for her, helps her, loves her. In a word, if we want to survive the temptation to take what God has given us and use it for our own benefit, in a word, our best weapon, my friends, is love. President Snow was wrong. Um, hope isn't the only thing that conquers fear. There's a better weapon even against fear than hope. The Bible puts it this way. In the end, there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is. Now, love can lead to hope and faith, but the capital loses control of this game when they introduce this idea of love. It gets away from them, as love does. The tributes are constantly given this sorry mantra as encouragement before engaging these look-after-number-one games. The mantra is, and may the odds ever be with you. God gives us instead a promise and a blessing when we engage a similar culture that pushes similar things and asks us to behave in a similar way. God says, tells us to say and bless one another with, may God be with you. And may he be with all of us, my friends, as we too try to love and strive to love in our turn in the Hunger Games world out there. So help us, God, and he will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know how great your heart is for those who don't yet know you yet. We know how much you love them. We know how desperate you are to take their place too so that they can live forever eternally with you. We know how badly and how strongly your heart breaks that they don't know you. Father, if um, even a movie like Hunger Games can be used to reach them somehow, some way, in showing a bit in their language and their interest of what you're like, then so be it. Use any and all means necessary to show the world who you are and how much you love them. And Father, if it helps for us to be able to engage and use those pictures as well like uh, others in the past have done, would you find us prepared and ready and willing to enter that conversation so people can know who you are? Please continue to use us in that way. I ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? As many of you know, I usually come to the center so you can, for the first time in church community, face each other and say, look, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family. 
Paul quotes the book of Numbers when uh, he gives us this blessing. Many of you know it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, his shalom. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.